Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. To hear more sermons and to find out more about our church, please visit sugarhillchurch.com. Okay, um, if you're like me, you, you've only got maybe at best a handful of real friends. Now, you might have dozens, maybe even hundreds of acquaintances, but I mean friends, like the, but real friends. So how many of you could say, I have at least one BFF? How many of you are wondering what a BFF is? Okay, God, okay, we're good, we're good. Yeah, that sounds so ridiculously stupid to ask that question, right? Totally, for sure, literally. I live in a home with high schoolers, I get it. Everything is literally, or eh. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how high school girls can take that word ooh and turn it into eh? Just think about it, it's crazy. We live with that in our house all the time. You say, Samantha, how are you? Eh. Oh, okay. Literally, eh. Some of our relationships are like literally, eh. They're in a mess. But we, we all want best friends, don't we? Don't we want friends? As a matter of fact, we were built in such a way that we need friends. I mean, oftentimes we desperately need friends. Today, we, we learn a little bit. If, you, if you've got your Bibles, you want to find the book of 1 Samuel. It's okay to look in the table of contents and find that. I know some of you didn't bring your Bibles today. You've memorized that. Thanks for doing that. That's awesome. Just kind of pull it up back in the back of your brain there. And you find 1 Samuel, find the 18th chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Uh, in case you were wondering, it's on page 187 in my Bible, which means nothing to you. In chapter 18, it says this, beginning in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. And then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, so, to, so you get the picture, Saul is king, Jonathan is his son, Jonathan is the next for the throne, and then Jonathan's buddy is David. And David is the, yes, the same David who slayed the giant, yes, the same David anointed in the fields of Bethlehem, the same David that would become King David, but at this point, David is Jonathan's buddy and Jonathan is the son of the king and the king sees in David, wow, this cat has got it. He can't, he, I don't know if he can define the it, but it's like when Keith Urban on American Idol says, we're looking for the it factor. He has it. And so here's David and he's highly successful when he goes to war. And you look down in verse seven and it says, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his 10,000s. And at that moment, Saul's heart begins to turn and says, wait a minute, this guy is more popular than me. And envy and bitterness and pettiness and strife enter into the heart of the king and immediately turns and says, I got to get rid of that guy. But Jonathan is his buddy. 
Look over in chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, and they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck down the Philistine, and the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan and Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was war again. And Saul's heart turned again. Bitterness and jealousy, envy and strife entered into the heart of Saul, and he determined to kill his son's best buddy. But Jonathan never left his side. He never stopped trying to defend him. It was the kind of relationship between Jonathan and David that we would all long for. In 1 Samuel 18, David and Jonathan meet and they create this covenant relationship. In 1 Samuel 19, Saul tells David, I'm going to kill your best friend. In 1 Samuel 20, David tests Saul's anger and sees he'll do anything. He'll hunt him down and he will chase him down and he will hunt him like with dogs and he will absolutely do everything to destroy David because now David is more popular than Saul is and he can't stand it. But there's his boy, Jonathan. Now, let me make sure that we understand this. Jonathan, the son of Saul who is next in line for the throne, could have easily joined with his dad and said, hey, I deserve this. I earned this. I'm supposed to be the next king. David, you're more popular than me. These people don't even know who I am. This is not cool. And he could have joined his dad and jumped in, but he chose to be a friend, the kind of friend that you and I would want, the kind of friend that you and I desperately would want when things are difficult. The fact of the matter is, we're all in one of three stages of life. We, either, we are either about to go into a challenge, we're in the middle of a challenge, or we're just coming out of one. And in the middle of all those things, what we desperately need is a friend. I'm 54 years old, and in my 54 years, I'm not sure I could fill that number of fingers with real, honest-to-goodness friends. Now, I've got hundreds of acquaintances and you know, I bet you could say the same thing, couldn't you? Because they're hard to find, the ones that are with you when you offer them nothing, the ones that, that support you when, when things are bad, the ones that are there when you've made a colossal mistake, but they didn't run from you. The ones where the world kind of put this label on you like you were something, but you're not. And in your heart, you just needed somebody to believe in you. There aren't that many of those out there, are there? But Jonathan and David had that kind of relationship. How would we learn from them to have that kind of relationship today? The Bible says that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. 
Now that's a word that means knotted together, firmly by bonds. It cannot be dissolved. It means strength in love. Now watch this because this is important. What happens in our world is we want friendships to be right horizontally. And when they're right horizontally, what happens is they become mutually beneficial. But see, that's not a friendship. that's, That's a business deal. I do for you, so you do for me. Quid pro quo, got it, right? That's, that's how most of our relationships are. As long as I do for you, you do for me, things are cool. But when you can't do for me, then the relationship ends. You, you've been in those? You, I mean, you smell what I'm stepping in? Are you there? All right, now, you get there and then you realize, wait a minute, I, I'm, there's something missing in this horizontal relationship. I need a vertical relationship that knits the bond. So imagine taking a, a, a rope, tying a knot, a bond with one another, and then soaking that with gorilla glue so that it could never be undone. Okay. This is the picture of a horizontal relationship, building a knot of friendship, and then letting the power of God get in the middle of the relationship. So that is the bond of gorilla glue on that knot where it can not be undone. So that when I do something to my friend that causes them to be hurt, that bond is still there because it is found in the presence of Jesus. It is found in the solid relationship vertically with my heavenly father, because if I I don't have that one right, I'll never have these right. If I don't have the vertical right, I'll never have the horizontal right. And you see, Jonathan and David built a covenant built on God. Over in Acts in the New Testament, chapter 13, verse 22, the scripture says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. That's what God said. In your handout, you'll see there, there, there's a little place to say, this is what a real friend is. You may want to grab pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara and fill those out. And maybe they'll be of help to you through the week. First of all, a, a real friend is gracious. Now, I, I got to be honest with you. Kindness and graciousness is something that is lost in America today. Especially among the male species. We hear kindness and graciousness and think weakness. Because we're, we're all filled with, we have to be all that. <clears throat> Me kill bear, filled thinner. Right? Manly stuff. Kindness and graciousness doesn't fit in with manly stuff. Right? But could I offer this to you? Anybody can be a jerk. Anybody can. I've proven that. I'm good at it. What? <laughs> okay, that's funny. I don't care who you are right there. <laughs> Folks on the podcast can be saying, I didn't hear that. Why? (laughs) Anybody can be rude. Anybody can be obnoxious. I mean, listen, I know how to be self-centered. I know how to be be self-important. I know how to be bitter. I know how to be angry. I know how to hold a grudge. You know how I know that? I'm human and I'm good at it. But what if the vertical relationship takes over the horizontal bitterness and says, wait a minute, I can make that right. Why do you suffer with all that stress when I can make it good and you can display kindness and graciousness? Hey, man, anybody can be a jerk. Why be anybody? 
They displayed real friends being gracious. In the first meeting with David and Jonathan, they make this verbal agreement. They make this covenant between them. And in their last meeting in chapter 23, they confirm the covenant in God. Their entire relationship is built on a covenant of kindness and graciousness. I'm here for you. Let me give to you. Let me sacrifice for you. Hey, if you're here and you're married and your best friend is not your spouse, something is desperately wrong because we were built to be kind and gracious to our best friend. You know what Jenny has to say to me often? Be nice. Be nice. I was on the way up Petrie Industrial to church this morning. Have you noticed it's 45 miles per hour all the way? Have any of you been blessed by a ticket on that like me? Bless the Lord, oh my soul. I got stopped by a Norcross police officer and got a ticket for doing 59 and a 45 on the way to church. So he pulls me over and he says, are we in a hurry this morning? Everything in me wanted to go, duh. But I thought I'm gonna play the pastor card on this one. So... So he says, where are you in such a hurry? I'm going to church, officer. Oh, really? Why are you in such a hurry? Well, I'm the pastor of the church. Oh, license and registration, please. What? (laughs) So he comes back with my $220 ticket. And says, have a nice day at church. I lied through my teeth and said, thank you. So on the way in today, I have now learned to use my speed control. Cruise control, never over 50 up PIB. Because to actually do 45 is sinful on Petrie Industrial. So I'm coming up and there's a car kind of beside me. And the, the lady behind me in a black Beamer, if you're her, just wow, listen up. So the lady in the black Beamer behind me is on her horn and she is sharing with me that she is number one. I'm waving, hi, I'm on the way to church, I'm the pastor. <laughs> you know. So, so we, 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 we come up kind of right where Lanier Middle School is up there and guess what was sitting right in the middle of that, of, of, of that median? Mr. Policeman, she pulled around beside me and went, That had nothing to do with the sermon. I just want to share it with you. Now, <laughs> you say, well, how do you become kind and gracious? Let me give you two thoughts. Number one, believe in a gracious God. I mean, really, how much of you do you really want to share with someone else versus God? I mean, grab this thought. The only thing good that I offer or you offer this world is the presence of Jesus within us. 
Because my heart is capable of all wickedness. I'm capable of all kinds of deceit. I'm capable of lying. I'm capable of thievery. I'm capable of everything. You know how I know that? Because you are too. How do I know that? The Bible says it. The only thing good I offer is the presence of Jesus. Believe in the graciousness of God. And secondly, maintain a humble spirit. You know what? Saul gave David his armor to fight Goliath when it wouldn't work. Jonathan gave him his armor and everything he had so that he could take his place as king. Humility. Could I just say to you, when we recognize that all we offer is the presence of Jesus, we're at the right state of humility. When we offer that the only reason we get to do what we do, where we do it is the goodness of God, we're in the right state of humility. Could I say to you, it's a battle every day. But that's how we'll be kind and we'll be gracious. It's interesting, in 1 Samuel chapter 20, over and over, you know what David and Jonathan call each other? Your servant. In that time, to claim to be a servant would have been the lowest position in the world. They say, I'm your servant. Could I remind you, Jesus came as a humble servant to give his life for us. A great friend, a real friend, they're gracious. A real friend is honest. What's the key to honesty in a relationship? Knowing the living God is between us and for us. The scriptures teach us that Jonathan and David came together and the teaching was that God was in the middle of them before them and for us. I mean, the the, the concept that God would build and put people in your life that he would forge together that you might complete each other in such an amazing way that you might value each other's differences, that is how God brought Jonathan and David together. I I find it fascinating, the relationship I have with Hector Cervantes. I mean, you couldn't find two people more uniquely different than we are. And you know what I found? I have found a friend for life in Hector Cervantes. I have found a guy that I I trust implicitly with my life in Hector Cervantes. You know why? Because vertically, we found a bond that he gorilla glued together. And you know what? All he ever wants to do in in our relationship is to share honesty with me in a way that comes with love. With nothing back. God is between us and God is for us. Again, I want to point out Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have because he's for us. A real friend also gives. A real friend gives. And they give sacrificially. They give till it hurts. They help one another in the most unique ways, in ways that you would never imagine. A friend gives unselfishly without thinking of the future or a return. Proverbs 18, 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jonathan in line to be a king says to David, here, you deserve it more than I do. Let me give you not just my inheritance, let me give you the kingdom. Let me hand it all to you. Jonathan had a real faith in the living God. Jonathan wasn't afraid of David because Jonathan was also a man built of faith. I mean, a real friend gives. Here's a question I've got for you. Are you a Jonathan to somebody? Most of us want a Jonathan in our life, but most of us aren't willing to be a Jonathan for somebody. Here's what I've learned. If you want great friends, you gotta be a great friend. You want people to speak truth into life? You got to speak truth. You want people to give to you? You got to give to them. Not quid pro quo. I mean, but it's all about this. Vertically, God, what do you want me to do for them? 
How do you want me to pour my life into them? How do I help them succeed? Over and over again in scripture, you know what it says? Serve, love, adore, help one another. A real friend gives unselfishly and they continue. John 15, 13 says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You know what else a real friend does? A real friend protects. A real friend protects. A true friend defends you when you're not around. In today's teaching, we we see that Saul becomes more aggressive in his plot to kill David, but God has a Jonathan to be David's eyes and ears. He's got his back. A friend you can count on in a crisis. They stand with you and they see you through tough times. Jonathan was tuned in to David's problem. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Hey, men, men in the room, look, look right here. Guys, I know you've checked out and you're trying to figure out what you're gonna do for dinner or for lunch. You've already checked in the balance. You're checking account on your iPhone. You checked out about 10 minutes. I got it. Come right back. All right, you ready? A friend protects. Our job, much of our job as husbands is to protect that best friend God gave you. When you're with the boys, everything you say of your wife better be good. You want God's blessing on your marriage? You speak well of your spouse in public and in private. You know one of the things I'm certain of? That whether I'm in earshot or in another country, I know Jenny, when she's with her friends, speaks well of me. And I'll promise you something, guys. You, you want a marriage that'll be unlike anything you could have imagined? You decide right now, I'm going to protect and I'm going to guard her. You say, Chuck, that's unfair. I want it back. Well, you do it whether she does or not, and you watch what happens. You watch what happens. A friend will protect. A friend loves at all time, and a brother is born in adversity. Do you stand up for your friend when nobody else will? Jonathan did. When, when, when literally his life was on the line, Jonathan did. You know what the last thing a friend does? A friend strengthens. A friend strengthens. A real friend strengthens each other spiritually. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Literally, iron sharpens iron just like two followers of Jesus, two Christians ought to sharpen one another. And if you're with a friend who's not strengthening you and sharpening you, then you need to step your game up and ask for it. If all you do, guys, all you ever do is have buddies who hang out and talk about college football or what's going on, there's, some, there's gotta be something more to that for the vertical relationship to grow so your horizontal relationship is right. David had to be discouraged, overwhelmed emotionally, spiritually. He's hiding in a cave, wondering what in the world am I gonna do? And Jonathan finds him and when they get there, This is ridiculous. Instead of getting together and having a gripe session about what's wrong with the kingdom, what's wrong with the king, what's wrong with the church, what's wrong with work, what's wrong with home, they get together and you know what they say? Literally, this is what they say. Magnify the Lord with me. Come on, let's worship his name. Okay, wait a minute, let me try that again. Clearly y'all weren't listening. When life was on the line and everything was falling apart and life was a disaster for David and his friend who has found him, knowing that dad has got soldiers waiting to kill him, they got together and said, let's magnify and worship the name of the Lord. 
Because see, what a friend does is strengthen us spiritually. A real friend strengthens us spiritually. Well, how do they do that? They pray with us and they pray for us. By the way, I believe one of the greatest sins of the modern day is when we give people a pat on the back and say, I'll pray for you, and you don't. I believe one of the greatest sins on earth is when you blow somebody off and say, I'll pray for you, and you don't. You pray for people. You share the word with people. You join them in magnifying the word, magnifying the Lord in worship together. Jonathan gave David a shot of strength and a word of encouragement. But I want you to know that Jonathan didn't get with David and just find out what was wrong. He got with David and found everything that was right vertically so that everything they did horizontally counted. For some of you here today, you can't have a meaningful, purposeful relationship horizontally because you've never found the right relationship with God vertically. And you know, it's really this simple. There's no magic prayer. There's no, there's no magic words. The, the Bible says that if you'll call on the name of the Lord, that he'll hear you. The Bible says if you'll confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, he'll hear you. For some of you today, the first step you've got to make is you've got to say, I'm getting my relationship with Christ right today. And for some of you, you need to choose to get it right with others today.